Are you sick and tired of your family? Do holiday get-togethers seem unbearable? Then you need the Family Survival Kit. New from the makers of Date Be Gone and Rent-A-Kid, it's the Family Survival Kit, filled with tons of family-neutralizing goodness. Like the criticism-canceling headphones. Harsh words go in, but compliments come out. Why can't you be more like your sister? She's always been here when... I am so proud. You are perfect just the way you are. I love you. Creeped out by over-affection to dance? Not anymore with Family Off, specially formulated to repel unwanted affection. <gasps> now, how much would you pay? Never be asked for money again with the Mooch Whistle. It sounds out a high-pitched sound that only mooches can hear. They'll be too confused to ask for anything. Undisciplined children are no problem at all with sleepy time brat darts. Just lift, aim, and blow for a whole 24 hours of brat-free living. But wait, there's more. Unsure of what to say to emotionally unavailable family members? Then let an expert say it for you with Dr. Phil in a can. Are you avoiding reality? Do you resent your children? Do you realize that this is a big problem? You can't change what you don't acknowledge. Thanks, Dr. Phil. If all else fails, use our patented nuclear family love grenade. Just pull the pin, toss it in, and let nitrous oxide put the fun back in dysfunction. So call this number and get your family survival kit today. Just three easy payments of $19.95. Order today and get the tongue cozy absolutely free. I can't taste a thing. So order yours today. Supplies limited, price subject to change. Love grenade not legal in Utah, Hawaii, and California. Not responsible for any damage or liability associated with improper use of products. May not work on Germans, accountants, or people who are sticklers for spelling. That, don't really call that number. <laughs> So family, you know, this is a holiday time. We, we get together with our families, and, and there's a little saying about family and fish, something three days is enough. Or, um, so we're talking, we're going through actually uh, kind of who we are uh, as a church. And, and so we've been talking about our vision. Uh, we, we, talked, we began last week with really the first part. Here's our vision. That is who we are, and in some ways it's really who we want to become. This is who we see uh, the church should be in scripture. And, and we phrase it this way, that we are Christ followers, that's first, that we're a committed family, and that we're compassionate friends. And so today I want us to talk about committed family. And so I just thought that would be fun to show the little family thing. Family ever get on your nerves? Does that ever? No, not you guys. That, that doesn't happen. Um, I, I know that we all think this. We all think that we're the only sane people in our family. Uh, the, the rest of our family's crazy. We're the only sane ones. Sometimes I wonder if we're the only ones who aren't sane. But I want us to, to take a look uh, again at Acts chapter 2. If you could go ahead and turn there in your scripture. Verse 42. And this is what we're using as kind of the, the jumping point for this whole discussion in committed family. So Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, the backstory. This is uh, the birth of the church. Um, they hadn't had time to have any disputes just yet. Isn't that great? Uh, brand new church. They're, they're coming together, and, and this is what it looked like for them. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, isn't that a cool picture of church? Isn't that the way you think church ought to be? That, that, that we, we, we love each other so much that we gather every day, that we, we have meals together, that, that if that there's really even hardly any time, it, it looks like here, for anyone to even express a need before it's filled. Now, isn't that cool that, that they make sacrifices for one another? And a really neat thing happens at the end of this, that, that they love on each other in such a way that the community around begins to take notice and that people, because of their love for one another, come to faith in Christ. Now, that's cool. That's what I think committed family ought to be. And I want us to talk about just a few things today um, that, that really, I think, help to exhibit. They're not all of them. Uh, in fact, I'll just give you the, the little, little short version, but don't go to sleep if, if I do. When we talk about being committed family, if you look in the New Testament, all of the one another's have to do with that. Every one another in here, unless it says don't something to one another, but all the one another's in Scripture, the imperatives, have to do with being a committed family. Let's take a look um, at kind of where we get this idea of family because we we don't really think about that a whole lot. Um, You ever heard the term... um, all of us are God's children, you know, the kind of the, the, the term all the world is God's children. That's not true. Uh, we, we all go back to Noah and eventually back to Adam. But, but when we're talking as believers, the, the household of God or the family of God are those who put their faith and hope and trust in Christ. So John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, kind of begins this idea as John, one of my, my favorite passages really in Scripture where it talks about the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, verse 14. Right before you get there, it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we, we know that there are plenty of other verses that talk about that we're co-heirs with Christ, Right? that we've been grafted in, we are adopted, it talks about in Ephesians, that, that we've been adopted into God's family. And that makes us siblings. Yeah, some of us look more alike than others. Um, we, we have some really tall people like me. And, and then, then we have a few giants. I'm thankful Angelo sits down because unless John was on stage, you know, it'd be a little bit, bit lopsided over there. Some have hair and some don't. Um, some hair is gray. And some hair turned loose is the way that, that mine turned gray and loose. But when you, when you trust in Christ, you become a part of the family of God. Ephesians 2.19, Paul says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's not the Roswell kind of aliens. Uh, it means not, of, not citizens of this country. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then Paul says a very similar thing to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15 in 1 Timothy. He said, if I delay, you ought to know how to behave. What he's saying is the reason I'm writing this letter, because if I'm delayed in coming to you, you ought to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of God, the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, So we are, as believers, we are family. Now, any of you get to pick your family? Anybody? If you've adopted, maybe. Uh, you you kind of did. You, you married him and got the family, you know, that kind of goes with it. We, we don't normally get to do that. We just are family. 
And, and, and that happens a lot of times in church. Sometimes we don't get along. I know. I didn't hear a gasp. It was, it was inside. But, but we're family. And there's some things about a family that we really need to understand. I love in, in Galatians 6.10, uh, Paul reiterates this, this idea of household of faith. This is the third time that we've seen. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then he says, especially those within the household of faith. How many of you have seen things go sideways in a church? Yeah, unfortunately. And, and the reason is because wherever you get two Baptists together, you have five opinions uh, is, is typically the way it works. The reason is simply is that we're, we're people. And, and one of the things I, I think, I don't know if this is an American thing. Uh, some of you, I know we have uh, some of our missionaries that are here. Or, or if, it's a, if it's just a people thing, but, but sometimes with us in, in America, we, we have this idea that we get to pick and choose everything. And so if we don't like the way things are happening in church, we can pick and choose and we'll go find another church. Now, it's different in our culture, in our day and age, than it was in the New Testament in, in the first century, uh, is that there, there wasn't a first Baptist church of Jerusalem and a second Baptist church of Jerusalem and a community church in Jerusalem. There was the church in Jerusalem, the same in Ephesus and Corinth and, and all those other places that, that you see that Paul wrote to. So, so they didn't have that option if you're upset with this group of people that you move on, and, and maybe that's part of it, our problem. But part of it is I, I think that we've just never understood what it means to commit to a body of Christ, a local body, a local family. And if that means that we commit through working through some things together, let me just give you a few things. I'm talking really fast because I have a cold and I took some medicine. Um, <clears throat> so let me slow down and take a drink of water for a moment. Three cups of coffee probably added to that a bit. Um, plus, I'm just excited about I, I I love the idea. I think if we could grab a hold of this idea of family in church, family in the body of Christ, I, I think we... I think we could get through a whole lot more together, and I think God can use us in bigger ways than, than we've allowed him to in the past. What I see, the, the, the big idea in this idea of family, that the reason it's important for us to grab a hold of this idea as a committed family is that, that we need to learn to help one another follow Jesus. You ever thought about that? Now, now we don't do that well. Usually churches... We, we, we tend to knock on those who aren't doing it well or, or we want to pick on those or, or, or maybe, you know, I've heard before that the church is, is known for shooting its wounded and that shouldn't be what we're known for. But, but the idea that, that I think that we need to grab the big idea with us being committed family is that we commit to help one another follow Jesus. That we commit, you know, our, our purpose statement we'll get to uh, in, in a few weeks is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to, to learn to commit to helping one another do that. And there's some things that are involved in that. If we want to commit to helping one another follow Jesus, first of all, we need to commit to teaching one another. Now, I know we, we're very individualistic, and, and, and we kind of get this idea, and I've heard this, and may, maybe you've heard it too, maybe you, you've even said it before, is I don't need anybody else. I've got the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Now, those are true. You have your Bible, yeah. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you do. But God has created it in such a way that we do need one another in the body of Christ. That's why it's called a body. 
Um, I, I love to tease just because there are a few people that this has unfortunately happened to. Um, but if you cut a piece of your finger off and, and, uh, and it's not able to be reattached, it, it doesn't survive apart from your body, does it, Jim? Yeah. His nickname is nine and three quarters. <laughs> the body of Christ, the, the way that it works is we are part of the body. We get our, our encouragement from the body. Now, we know the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts and changes us. He empowers us to live the way that Christ wants us to live. But, but that is done in the confines of the body. That we're a committed family, and, and we need to learn to commit to teaching one another. Here's the way he says it in Matthew 28. You know this is the Great Commission. In verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, this, we, we kind of get this idea of teaching. Now, remember, this is all in a context of making disciples. That's the imperative in this passage, the, the command. But we get this idea that teaching is you get a book and you get a notebook and I'm giving you the information and you're learning the information. That, that's kind of our, our worldly way of, that we think of teaching, right? Biblically, not so, particularly in the context of making disciples. In making disciples, really what we're talking about here is coming alongside someone, and, and I like to say this particularly with parents, teaching isn't telling, teaching is showing, and if we can commit to, to actually coming together in life and, and showing one another how to do the things that he's commanded us to do. I think that's what we lack so much. And, and, and I'll say it again. I've said it a lot of times before, but we, we, I think we, we do a disservice. I, I think we hurt the cause of making disciples when we talk about evangelism in one context and discipleship in another. They really are the same. They go hand in hand with one another. That we come alongside someone and teach them to follow Jesus. That, to me, is, is what really discipleship is about. And it encompasses evangelism. And it encompasses what we would traditionally call discipleship. But we need to commit as a family, as committed family, what we're talking about is we help one another follow Jesus. And in order to do that, there are a few things that, that we just need to be able to do. Well, one is this that we need to be able to hold one another accountable. We don't like that terminology at all, do we? Did anybody wake up this morning and say, you know what, man, I can't wait to go to church. I hope someone holds me accountable. <laughs> That's just not the way we think. And, and, and unfortunately, that has a negative connotation to it, and it really shouldn't. It, it really shouldn't. Holding someone accountable has with it the idea of not just telling them what they're doing wrong, but helping them to do what they ought to be doing. We see in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is, is kind of giving this idea, and I like the way he says this. I tell you, the worst, the, the worst term that we can use, because it has so many bad connotations, although sometimes there's no other way to say it, is called church discipline. We, we've heard that before, right? Probably have bad, uh, bad visions uh, when we say that. But Paul, I like the way that, that he talks about it in here. And, and really, he's talking about it as in a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. He says, brothers, this is Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love that. You get that idea? So, so, so you're not beating up on someone. You're not pointing out their faults. You're not condemning them. 
the, the idea, that the picture that I get is this, is that you see someone who's going the wrong way and you go around and you put your arm around them and then you help them go back the right way. You, you want to bring them back in, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, lovingly. Now, sometimes we, we want to put our arm around them and, then, you know, kind of give them a little gut punch. <laughs> we'll, we'll let the Holy Spirit do that. But, but we restore them in a spirit of gentleness, that we can hold one another accountable. Listen, do you know why they give tests in school? You know why you have homework in school? Give you assignments in school? Because they know almost nobody is going to do what they tell you to do unless there's some form of accountability. Isn't that right? Can you imagine a classroom? We have one of our, our college students that are here today. I didn't get to see you earlier. And, and can you imagine a, a college class where a teacher says, okay, I just want to let you guys know in here, everyone's going to get an A. I, I just want you to do the work. We're not going to have any assignments. I'll, I'll give you assignments, but I'm not going to check them. You don't even have to turn them in. I just want you to do them. I trust you. You do them on your own. Um, no tests. Uh, I'll just give you things that you need to learn, and, and, and I just trust that you're going to learn them. How well do you think that would go? We know that it doesn't even go well when, when professors don't take role or take attendance in class, right? That, 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 was been, that was some of the biggest problems early, and I think they're changing a little bit. They realize this really weird thing that if you don't go to class, you generally don't pass. I don't know. That's just odd. It's like if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. I don't know. But, but we, we in the, the family of God, we need to commit to, to lovingly, gently, rightly being accountable to one another. Now, I know that, boy, that is not consistent with the world and this individualism and nobody's going to tell me what to do and that's not any of your business, Right? But the fact is, we are our brother's keeper. We, we, we do need one another. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, but sometimes there, there are times where if I don't have someone that's going to ask me if I did something, I might not do it. That's just how we are. We need that accountability in the family of God. Finally, you love it when a pastor says that. You know there's like three more points after that, right? Finally, what I see that... that that we need to be able to do as a committed family is we need to bear one another's burdens. And that's something we don't do really well either, I think. Well, here's what that means. Are you guys ready? That means I'm going to have to meddle in your business a little bit. Well, why? Because I don't know what burdens you're bearing unless you tell me. I'm going to have to get in, involved. It doesn't mean that I tell you what to do, but we, we live in such an individualistic society, and, and unfortunately, we've become so disconnected in the most informationally connected time in history that, that we just want to keep it all to ourselves. I don't want someone to know if I'm struggling. Are you that way? Men, we don't even want to ask for directions, do we? And And, and so here's... Here's what we do. Siri, give me directions to the nearest coffee shop. Which coffee shop? Tap the one in front of you. Please proceed directly to the right there coffee shop. 
tells me I can get there in one minute. It's 200 feet that way. <laughs> I don't think it's quite 200 feet. We don't want to ask for help, do we? We don't want to admit that we need help. But listen, if we really want to grow, if we really want to, to this, this idea of being a committed family is we need to get involved in one another's lives. We need to learn to bear one another's burdens. Listen, here's something that happens when we do that. Let me read the verse for you first. And by the way, this comes right after, this is Galatians 6, 2. This is right after Paul saying, if someone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Then he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What law? The command that he gave us that we love one another as he has loved us. That if, if we think we can go it alone, we are doomed. You, you can't, first of all, you need the Holy Spirit living in you to be able to empower you to do what God has called you to do. He's the one that produces the change. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. I always, that, that's kind of a hard, you know, you get this idea of a basket full of fruit whenever we talk of the fruit of the Spirit. That's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the results, the effect of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And we know the Holy Spirit does that work and he changes us, but we need other people. We're not called to go it alone. We need people to come alongside us. That, that's a primary role of the Holy Spirit. He's called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. But God has given us one another to do that too. And, and God never intends for, for us to, to bear our own burdens. He's given us one another to help with that. Uh, it may be a scripture verse. I should have, should have looked it up. It, it might be one of these good folksy sayings but it's true that a burden shared is halved and a joy shared is doubled. That's true, isn't it? If I'm, if I'm struggling with something and it doesn't mean that, that if you enter into this with someone that bearing their burdens means you figure it out for them, you don't. It just means that you go through it with them. They don't have to go through it alone. I, I mentioned this before uh, one of the hardest things that, that, that I've ever had to do, uh, we had a really a couple who were really close friends and had a pregnancy that we knew that there was going to be a, a genetic uh, deformation. The, the baby, most of them don't go to term, and the ones who do don't live more than a week or two. And so they, they were really good, helped those of us around them to prepare for this. And we get a call one night that she's in labor, um, they drop the kids off to Cynthia, go to the hospital. I go with them to the hospital, and it's in the middle of the night. Um, he comes out and lets me know that the baby is dead. They, they can't find a heartbeat. There's no Bible verse. <laughs> There's no prayer. There's no thing I can say. So what do you do with well, this idea of bearing one of those burdens? I just get this picture. Jonathan and I just grabbed on each other and just cried. <laughs> Man, that's all I could do. And sometimes that's just where we find ourselves. There, it doesn't mean you have to have the answers. It doesn't mean that you have to have the right words or, you know, platitudes just don't seem to ease the pain. We can tell them things they already know, but when you're hurting, you're hurting. And sometimes it just helps to have someone hurt along with you. 
And that's what I, I see in here, that we bear one another's burdens, that we just come alongside one another. We let them know, you're not going through this alone. I'm going through it with you. That's what it means to be in committed family and that we stick it out. I'll read that verse that I alluded to earlier, John 13, uh, 34. Jesus says, remember, this is in the context of, of the Last Supper. He's gathered his disciples together. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. The very next verse says something that, that I think we need to really keep in mind as we live together in community and as we go through our, our lives in this world. The very next verse says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's why when when we talk about our, our vision, who we are, sometimes who we aspire to be, we, we say that we're committed family. And, and that's what we mean by that, 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 that we help one another follow Jesus, that, that we're in this together. You're, you're not in it alone. You're not by yourself. That, that we, we teach one another how to do that. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm in a Bible study w- w- with you guys, I learn at least as much as you do. That we learn from one another. I, I have a good friend who, who says commu- or theology is best done in community. That, that means if you go off on your own and do theology, you can get weird. And you don't, you don't believe me, just go YouTube. Look on Google. You guys have some weird ideas. But that we, we, we teach one another how to do that. That's the hardest part. We can read it, but putting that into practice in our lives. And that we, we hold each other accountable in that. We need somebody to say, hey, how you doing? And what, what's our answer? Oh, fine. I'm good. No, no, come here, come here, come here, come here. No, really, how are you doing? <laughs> well, life stinks. You know, sometimes that might be the response. Actually, I'm, I'm really having trouble with this. That, that's part of holding one another accountable, and then it goes right into, let me walk through that with you. Let's do this together. Because we're family. And we're going to get mad at each other. I might irritate the snot out of you. But we, but we stick it out, we work it out, and we go through it. And we do it in such a way that the world around looks at that and they say, you know what? I may not believe like they believe, but I sure like the way that they treat one another. I don't know about this... I don't know about the whole Bible church kind of thing, but, man, look how they love one another. That's, that's something I need. And that God can use that to open doors for us to, to be able to lead them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God, life just gets messy in this broken world. It's hard. It's hard for us to put aside our personal preference. It's, it's hard for us to do the one another's that you've called us to do in the New Testament, that, that we love one another like you've loved us, that we put uh, one another's interest above our own, that we, we look out for, 
for one another, that we bear one another's burdens, that we hold one another accountable. God is just hard. And part of the reason it's hard is because sometimes we, we just don't do a good job of walking with Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you, would you change us? Would you work in our hearts? Would, would you knit our hearts together in this body and in this family? And, and would you just give us the courage and the boldness to commit to one another in family? To help one another grow in our relationship with Jesus, to hold one another accountable, to bear one another's burdens. God, would you do that? Would you do what we can't do? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.